Slate. Is that what that's called? That's what that's called, right? Sure is. I wouldn't know. <laughs> sweet slate. They actually call it sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Sticks. It is. A, it is a slate, but they say sticks. I hate. I hate onset lingo. Yeah, that's stupid. It bothers you me. Call, you call tripod sticks too. Yeah. Or uh, what did they call them? Yeah. And that's the thing. Oh, yeah. Or that's, oh, that's, yeah, a good that's point. true. Like oh, yeah. Sticks, also. Sticks. And then yeah. someone brings out a tripod. You want one of these? Yes. Exactly. Mm-hmm. exactly. Yeah. That's me on set. And then the hijinks. Ha ha ha. I hate. For some reason. I think any time. Here's my thing. Here's my thing about onset lingo, is that I think that. Uh, there's a if you've ever been on a set before, there's a lot of people who are kind of affecting this very kind of blue collar attitude. They've got like gloves and work belts and things, and they're wa- talking on walkie talkies. And you realize they they all went to art school, and they're all just trying to like use terms like sticks and all of that to try and seem more blue collar and more workmanly than they are. It's like we can see through you, film set people. You're you're not blue collar. Yeah, you hear that? Leave film it set alone. People? All right, Kyle I don't can like see you. right through you. Yeah, that's right. These are my friends. I just like to rib them because literally see right yes. through you. That's a superpower. Yes. Welcome to scale as needed, folks. Yo, yeah. Uh, speaking of superpowers, mm-hmm. I haven't finished the series yet. I'm actually only just two episodes in. But have you guys seen the boys? The boys? I have not. No. no, I haven't watched it. Yet. Have you watched Shit, it? Shit's mad. Fire. You got to like episode four so I'm far. At, uh, mid, midway through episode five. I believe. Okay. Yeah, yeah. The superhero thing? Yeah, you guys should watch it. It's on okay. Amazon Prime. You guys should watch it too. It's fucking great. Cool. Uh, they all probably already it are. Is, uh, it's awesome. I don't know how best to describe it. It's almost like... Uh, R-rated superheroes. Yeah, yeah. Like way, way R-rated yeah, yeah. superheroes. Um, <laughs> super R-rated superheroes. Yeah, super R-rated. <laughs> it's like if superheroes were... like If like the Marvel Cinematic Universe mm-hmm. was actually had those superheroes who are mm-hmm. like real people in yeah, this yeah. world... And they were making billions and billions and billions of dollars <laughs> and were absolutely untouchable above the law. Nice. Yeah. And I don't, they were still celebrities and shit. It's I don't like think that. I'm giving anything away, but that guy fucked that dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Are you hooked? Sold me, Chase. Yeah. I, I, I legit wasn't going to watch it until Chase just said that, and now I might. Yeah, piece that together. So really, I, if anything, they... Uh, I mean, hindsight's twenty twenty. But they could have saved a lot of money on marketing. Yeah, you know, all not. Let's not put them on talk shows. Put that ads out there. Just say that guy he fucked that dolphin, and everyone yeah. would watch. Go fuck Shamu in the blowhole. <laughs> that's a, that's that is a direct quote from that, that show. That doesn't make you want to double watch that watching show. now. If yeah. you fuck Shamu in the blowhole, would he suffocate to death? Does he have an alternative means of breathing? Listen, that motherfucker ate a bunch of trainers and stuff. Does so. Shamu breathe? Yeah. I think it breathes out through its blowhole. It's not yes. breathing in through the blowhole. I thought it was. I thought it was just breathing in and out. It's yeah, breathing in and out. It's yeah. a nostril. It's yeah, just, it's, it is. Yeah, yeah. It is, is the it, nose. Is it its yeah. only nostril? Oh, I mean, I think it can also breathe through its mouth. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. know if it breathes through its mouth or not, or if the, the blowhole is the only way. I'm gonna take a wild guess and <clears throat> assume that that blowhole, mm-hmm. the muscles that are opening and closing that, are so strong that that's cutting <laughs> your dick snap off. Snap your dick off. Just <laughs> rip it right <laughs> it's off. Cutting it right <laughs> off, dog. Which is what you deserve. Yes, honestly, 100%. if you're trying to have sex with it. Right. Also, by the way, wouldn't I mean Shamu is like a killer whale is pretty big, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wouldn't its blowhole be like human size? <laughs> pretty fucking yeah, yeah. big. Like, yeah. Well, to you. What are you, <laughs> <laughs> what are you really getting out of that? No. What are you really getting There's out of that? The reason why Poseidon was a god. Well, I mean, maybe not you, Armin, but some of us. I've got a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a real, real, real. Here's a joke. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, a wife is talking to her husband about how she went to, she had a dream that 
Mm-hmm. She was at an auction for dicks. Uh-huh. <laughs> that long dicks were really expensive and thick dicks were even more expensive. <laughs> and the husband goes, what about dicks like mine? She goes, oh, they were giving that away free. <laughs> so not to be one up. Uh-huh. He goes, oh, yeah, well, I was having a dream that I was at an auction for pussies. And she goes, okay. He goes, yeah, tight pussies were expensive and, you know, I don't know, whatever, were yeah, more yeah. expensive. I can't, <laughs> honestly can't. And she's like, what about pussies uh-huh. like mine? And he goes, that's where they're doing the auction. It's <laughs> <laughs> just a bizarre variation on Shane Black's joke from Predator. Oh, is it really? Well, no, it's just it feels that like all. that one. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Yeah, geez, you got a big pussy. Geez, you got a big pussy. Why'd you say it twice? I didn't. <laughs> There you go. There you go. The joke is it's huge enough to have the auction inside of it. Yes. And and that joke is that the echo. Anyway, we're a CrossFit podcast. We sure are. We sure are. It's good. uh, It's good to just, you know, to prime the pump, if you will, every time for about for about for about three or four minutes. This is this is key. Yeah, this is key. It's like this shakes off. It shakes off the pretenders, the non-believers. Anyone who didn't like that first few minutes of this episode can suck my <laughs> also <I> also mean, <laughs> if you, you know. listen to it it's really on you because there's always mm. always someone in the comments that says the yeah. first eight to ten minutes are garbage yes oh, yeah. oh yeah oh yeah oh yeah that's a good point well, we need to, to continue to deliver that garbage mm-hmm. whoever that is in the comments like really doing the lord's work congratulations <laughs> uh just like giving people actual time stamps for yes, when they can just really skip great. all the garbage yeah, and get yeah, straight yeah. to whatever it is they want to talk about arguably garbage but I think what that means is we have to titrate more garbage into the latter 54 minutes of the podcast. So yeah. more random, uh, just aggressively vulgar non sequiturs that seem to come out of nowhere and really suck all of the air out of the I room. will say that telling a joke is probably a lot easier if you actually remember all of it yeah. right from the get-go. Uh, instead of I mean, trying you to so as you're telling it. Um, you just but like you straight up were like grasping at straws, you, trying yeah. to figure out what else would make a vagina <laughs> valuable. <laughs> it's tight. Tight ones, and then the other kinds. I could not remember. I could not remember what the joke was supposed to be like. Bags of I, sand. I had no, I had no way of, of improving that. That was wild. That was pretty crazy. This is his 40-year-old virgin moment. It's like, <laughs> Armin, you've seen a vagina before, right? <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. So before, I guess, we get into... Now that we've shed the non-believers... Yes. And before we get into any other like fitness talk... Uh-huh. Uh, there's more merchandise now available for sale, guys. Oh, yes, shit. In case you're wondering, there's there's some sneaky fit shirts and tanks and BRP dad caps and mm. shirts and stuff. You mm. guys all have versions of those things, and mm-hmm. you're not wearing any of them right now. That's good. Yep. Yeah, yeah. That's good plan. You know, <laughs> I, I have my BRP shirt in the in- car that I'm wearing to the movies, <laughs> but I realized I wore it last week on the pod. I didn't want to look like I hadn't showered. Oh, there that's, you go. No, that's, that's good. good that's smart. That's a good call. I'm uh, 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 Cliff bought this Muppet Show uh, shirt oh, at Waterloo Records while we were waiting for our table at Twenty Four Diner. To oh eat yeah, breakfast. exactly. Ooh, One week ago, uh-huh. that is maybe the best pairing right there. Like yes. Twenty Four Diner is always Waterloo. just like, well, we're packed. You're gonna have to wait at least thirty to forty yes. minutes. Yep. And 
Waterloo's right there. I mean, honestly, I think that's why it's so successful. It's like they have a big weight, but it's like there's Waterloo, there's Whole Foods. It's like, all right, just go put in your name. They wanted the like the one the one negative about that whole situation, though, good as it is, is the parking lot situation. Very difficult to find parking. Very tight to maneuver (laughs) in parking, and it's so tight to maneuver in parking that after a lovely, lovely day of uh, going to Twenty Four Diner. Going to Waterloo Records, walking over. It was such a long way. Walked over to uh, Whole Foods, got a coffee there. Extremely pleasant. Came back. Whole left side of my car scraped. What? Yep. Fucking asshole. Fucking asshole. The truck that was parked next to us yep. backed out and just scraped the entire side, dented in the side of Cliff's car. Mm-hmm. So he had to go take it in for body work. Yep, yep, White yep. paint scratched along the whole side and just took off. Yep, Is yep, there yep. like cameras that you get well, I looked all around or something? to see if there's someone we could talk to? I didn't see anything. Yeah. That uh, sucks. Yeah. So That's anyway. the type of shit that happens in like a high school parking lot. Jesus yeah. Christ. It is. No note, obviously. And then, uh, but uh, thankfully, thankfully, Geico was able to cover me past my $1,000 deductible. So the $1,100 repair bill, I love they, it. Covered, <laughs> they covered $100 of that. Dude, they're they're nice over there, right I tell you. Buy yourself something nice. They're they are like, yo, $120, yes. $140 a month, and we will spot yes. you approximately one-fifth of yeah. that. Word, word. And I'm pretty I feel, sure I feel like Chase had something he wanted to say about 20 oh, yeah, yeah. in Waterloo. We cut him off twice, oh, yeah, sorry, like five minutes oh, ago. Yeah, what you, was the point? You missed the... So this, the secret to that parking situation mm. is mm. to park at Whole Foods, run through Whole Foods, oh, grab like go. a pack of gum. There you go. So then you're in the clear. Oh. And nice. then you can just walk wherever the fuck you want around there. Nice. That's not a bad idea. There's there's good neighborhood parking in the Clarksville area. I feel like yeah. this is good universal content for yeah. our listeners in Egypt. They're going to want to know... They're going to want to know where... Where to park? Well, one of the most common things that I was hearing from people at the CrossFit Games, like I met people like Norwegians, Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, South American, Mm -hmm. you know, fans. Mm -hmm. And every single one was like, you know what I want to know more about? Specifics about parking (laughs) in downtown Austin. And I was like, I think we can deliver that type of content for you. I think we can deliver that content for you. Well, I mean, come on. Who knows? I mean, in the next couple months to a couple decades, they could be in Austin and they're going to have to drive from the airport and they're going to be hungry. As far as, I mean, if you listen to Texans, Mm-hmm. If you listen to people who live in Austin, mm-hmm. everybody's going to be living in Austin sooner rather than later. Yeah, pretty much. It seems so, to be. That seems to be where things are going. I think. Uh, I think 110,000 people are moving here a day. Yes. that's a, that's an actual statistic that I made up. Right I think there are 110,000 companies moving here a day from California and yeah. New York currently. So I was talking to my accountant. I got my taxes done finally. Damn. That, that was sounds awesome. like a rich person flex. God damn. <laughs> well, yeah, anyway, so I was talking to my accountant. My accountant was like. Uh, He's like, man, when I when I moved here thirty years ago, it was I had to stop for cows on uh on the loop on one loop, loop one. And he I was like, What? And he goes, Yeah, that used to not be like an elevated, like four lane each yep. direction highway. That was just like a road that went around the outskirts of like anything anyone would consider Austin. I was yep. like, Oh fuck. Yep. <laughs> so basically where I live right now. Which is like, you know, kind of an up and coming, pretty sweet little neighborhood mm-hmm. in Austin, South Austin, was like not at all a thing, even like 10, 15 years ago. Well, it was a thing. It was not a thing. It, well, I can even, even 15 years ago when we moved here, outside of the central areas of Austin to the east side or to the south, there were lots of people living there, but they just, but it was like if you, it was largely immigrant populations, like largely just like historically just Spanish neighborhoods and sort of thing. So if you were a English speaking person who lived in the downtown area, it was just weird to even cross over to the other side of 35 sometimes because you're just like, 
like, oh, well, there's just nothing over there. It's like this is where downtown ends. And it's crazy that all of that real estate was there for so long just because of an arbitrary, like, cultural divide that sort of separated downtown and other things or had yeah. for, like, 20 years. And then it just broke one day, and now everyone all mixes together. And, like, all of these little plots of land on the east side that are, like, right on the lake that had, like, a lean-to on it and a pickup truck are now, like, $10 million pieces of property. Wow. Just like in a couple of years. It's insane. It's ridiculous. It is insane. So. I actually heard a thing on NPR about how, and I think this is probably more common than people imagine, but like a hundred years ago or whatever it was, when they were sort of um, zoning Austin, they actually zoned east of 35 East Austin into uh, like almost like a segregated neighborhood which mm -hmm. is why east austin was like historically mm -hmm. so yeah. black like yeah, it just yeah. had uh, every every black you know citizen of yeah, austin yeah. was basically forced to live in east austin yeah. which was totally cool until like you know 15 or 20 years ago when people realized that's like prime real yeah, estate we want that also They're like now. we also want this <laughs> <Yeah>. so sorry <laughs> yeah, um sometimes. but uh that reminds me of a very strange interaction that that i witnessed at the crossfit games yeah. and you know if you've done crossfit or you live in the world and watch crossfit you've probably noticed that most crossfitters are white it's just not like a mm. it's i don't think that's a controversial statement that's just a statement of fact yeah, yeah. um but i'm not 100 percent sure what the cause of that is in fact i actually had a really cool podcast with um elizabeth akinwale uh back when i was doing the mm. wadcast it was me and scott and elizabeth akinwale and we talked a lot about like race and crossfit mm. and why we don't see a lot of black crossfitters and that sort of thing but uh there was this moment at at the crossfit games it was a uh it was at like the quote-unquote press conference mm. after one of the days you know it's like dave and uh katrin and matt and noah and brooke wells and uh you know like they're they're all sitting there and someone like in the press corps like raised their hand and was like dave everyone on this stage looks alike and that immediately made every single person be like the fuck did you just say yeah, like yeah. all at like matt no even noah who i don't think has ever made a mean face in his entire life was like excuse me uh -huh. the fuck did you just say about us yeah and this dude asked dave castro what are you going to do hmm. to include more diversity mm. in the crossfit games in the future and dave was like he, he literally just looked at him and silence everyone started laughing and dave stood up and just announced the next workout and just walked away <laughs> <laughs> it was like Bye. That's the end of the po that's the end of this press conference, everybody. Yes, yeah, uh, everyone. Yeah, I, I, not necessarily the right context to introduce any of that. And it's like I can answer that question. I think I feel like it's a pretty simple question to answer in terms of the uh, the people in. Uh, it's like why or why why are why are CrossFitters when you think of CrossFitters primarily white? Well, it's because currently CrossFit is primarily a toy for very rich people, and mm. it's like so you're so highly selecting into a population of people that is predominantly very very white because where are people doing CrossFit in CrossFit boxes or at least they have been what is very interesting I find is to like all things like most fun things that start out as fun toys for the rich and then eventually we begin to figure out ways to sort of deliver good shit 
at a cheaper and cheaper price point, now more and more and more and more people are going to start finding in the next few years. And that's when, hopefully, all of the, uh, the selection of the fittest people in the world can be far more representative, and we can see a lot more of that. And we will, I guarantee you, see more diversity at the CrossFit Games at that point. Because the interesting thing is, we, and while I absolutely believe that all the people at the CrossFit Games are among the very fittest people in the world, and I think that Matt Frazier absolutely has a right to that title. The fact is, especially in this country, it's like it's largely, you know, CrossFit is a urban affluent phenomenon. And so yeah. if you're selecting for the fittest person in the country, you're, selecti you're selecting vaguely within a population that is more urban and more affluent than uh, the rest of the country. So it'll be I, interesting to see all those gaps fill in over the course of the next few years. Yeah, you know, I mean, even even Greg Glassman says, like, you know, just wait until... Mm -hmm. And I've I've been saying this for a long time. It's like, just wait until the, the Chinese mm -hmm. realize that they can have, like, the same sort of... Not the same, but mm. a similar type of um, clout... The mm -hmm. way that they just start smashing a ton of fucking Olympic yep. medals, they can have a similar type of clout by winning a bunch of CrossFit competitions. Mm -hmm. And the hundred thousand Chinese national weightlifters mm -hmm. that are never going to be Olympians but are way stronger than any American weightlifter. Yeah, yeah. That might be an exaggeration. It's maybe like ninety nine thousand. Who are also mm -hmm. world class gymnasts. Who are also world time. class gymnasts at the same time will probably find some Put their comfort hat in, the ring. Yeah, in, in CrossFit. Um, I was gonna also say that um, I think the other other main reason that we're missing here isn't because <laughs> black people people are poor. It's because they're busy doing real sports. Yes. Yes. Barry Sanders. Yes. Michael Jordan. That goes with that, and that LeBron all that, James. and all of that shit goes without saying. All well, that shit goes without saying. It's funny you should mention that because I think that there is a lot more diversity in CrossFit yeah, yeah. than people give it credit for. Yeah, yeah. I just think it's when you get to that top end of like the athletic sphere, yeah. it's so European, it's so Australian, it's so American mm -hmm. that that's all you end up seeing. Whereas like at at the at my at my box when I when I opened my gym, uh, it was. Uh, in downtown Glendale, Glendale has a huge Armenian population. Our gym's population was mostly <laughs> Indian or Armenian. And it was mm -hmm. because we were serving, like, you know, the downtown, like, bunch of engineers that mm -hmm. worked at, like, Yellow Pages or, uh, you know, a few other, like, you know, big internet companies down mm -hmm. there. Or we were servicing our other part of the community, like, business owners yeah. and people in the community who lived in the neighborhoods is mostly Armenians or yeah. Indian. And it's like... That was just my that was like my, my experience and and that was one of the things I remember from our conversation with EA with the, with Ak and Wallace. She was saying the same thing. She's like, I train in Chicago. Yeah. My gym is predominantly black. Yeah. I was like, oh well, that fucking makes sense yeah. because it it's just like a snapshot of the neighborhood. Yeah. It's just really interesting that because the sport is so dominated from like the European side of things, the Australian side of things, and the American side yeah. of things, it's mostly white westerners that are yeah. showing up at, at the top end. Oh, yeah and the point that chase brought up is one that's almost like we kind of all assume uh that we kind of assume uh to be true which is the fact it's like the actual fittest people in the country right now <laughs> are all making <laughs> millions of dollars at playing real 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 sports so when we say the fittest person in the country we largely mean those who have been chopped out of the world of professional sports and among the rest of us exercisers who is the fittest person in the country yeah, chopped so, out of the world of professional sports but still motivated to work hard and stay yes. fit and exercise hard which most people who fit into that category just get fat and you know 
Yeah. Don't do anything yeah, else. You end up yes. being like, I peaked in high school. I was, I was, I threw four touch. Was it four touchdowns? What's yeah. that? What's that? Fucking married with children thing. Four no touchdowns. Idea. Yeah, but the other thing is, what will happen? Here's the interesting thing that happens is for for football and for basketball and for to a lesser extent, I suppose, baseball and hockey. There's this giant net in the country for you know if you it's like where where those sports are important to you. You would li- if you could be good at those sports, you would want to be good at those sports. So anyone who has any ability to succeed at though at either uh, football or basketball within those spheres within if you grow up in a household where those things are like any of us did because we grew up in America it's like you will go and play one of those sports now here's an interesting thing having worked in sports for a little while some of like uh, one of the reasons why you know the United States is not necessarily very competitive in wrestling uh, in the heavier weights is because if you're a big guy and you're super fit and you're in America, there's no fucking way you're going to be a wrestler because there's a real sport for you to go be successful in, right. which oh, is yeah. football. So I was ama- so cross, but yeah, cool but too. but so several of our several of the heavyweight guys were like uh, like one of our heavyweight one of the heavyweight uh, wrestlers for several years was Tervel Delagnev, who is this super big super fit guy but his parents I think I can't remember Bulgarian Bulgaria, his Bulgarian parents so he just grew up in a household where he's like football was just not important and so why would he want so he has maybe he had this maybe he did maybe he didn't but he, he may he probably could have easily been like a d1 something oh obviously no he, he could have been a fucking pro yeah, football yeah. player he's a freak yeah, athlete he is there. he is a crazy freak athlete yeah, but man. but that being said he, that was not a value so what'll be interesting is right now the problem is that there's a whole bunch of people who could actualize a tremendous amount of success in both the United States and internationally in CrossFit, but why would they? Because they've never heard of it, and who cares? So as it grows and bigger and bigger and bigger, and that is starting to become more of a thing, I think if you're a little bit more in cities you know, and stuff, you can start to see more CrossFit gyms around. It feels like more of a real thing. But as it grows bigger and bigger and bigger, that net's just going to get bigger and bigger and bigger. And if we can get to the point where you know the net of people who uh, the net of people who uh, uh, is, are tr- interested in CrossFit is even half of the fucking size of the net of basketball or football, then we're going to see some. We're going to see what is happening at the CrossFit Games now potentially be left <laughs> once, in the dust. Once the prize for the CrossFit Games gets below the NFL minimum, then. <laughs> You mean above the NFL minimum? Above the NFL minimum. Sorry, above the NFL minimum. Once 10th place at the CrossFit Games crosses the barrier of like the NFL minimum, then maybe. Oh, you mean so like never? Okay, cool. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I don't think there's ever going to be a point at which 10th place at the CrossFit Games gets you like half a million dollars. I don't know. What do you get for uh, fucking winning Wimbledon? I don't know. What is that? That's a million dollar check there. And who cares because it's tennis. Exactly. So CrossFit could kick a lot more ass. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know. We we say all this, but also, who knows? Like those, uh, like the athletes that excel at those sports are like freak athletes, athletes that like a lot of times like unorthodox shit, right? Like they'll power clean, like reverse curl, like 450 pounds and you're like, holy shit. But then like, (laughs) They go to do a front squat or like an overhead squat, and they just like can't ever oh, sure. do it. Uh, I don't know, man, but it'd be fun to watch. I mean, like, things, I don't. Well, we should just I'm make not, the NFL have to do CrossFit. Yeah, that, I well, I think that would help some guys uh, uh, or horribly maim them, <laughs> or horribly maim them. Yeah. That's true. Um, I think it's interesting though. It's, it's not so much that I'm saying like anyone in the NFL could just walk right out and just win the CrossFit games tomorrow, because as we know. 
Um, as Hunter found out, there's many specialized skills involved. I think he knew going in. There's many specialized skills involved, but the I think the people with the highest uh, capacities, a lot of the highest raw capacities, who like effortlessly ascend when in whatever sport they get into to the top, those kinds of people, those like one in a million kinds of people, often end up in the NFL or the NBA. The I mean, you know, LeBron James being the the biggest, biggest, biggest example of that. Uh, the tip of the spear. Yeah, but it'll be interesting. Interesting not to say that like oh this guy if he gets cut from this team could just walk in and win the CrossFit Games but instead more like as we see guys who are in that who maybe are training more in a way that is like that and if they don't necessarily things don't pan out in the NFL or whatever if they end up already having a robust skill set and they can do overhead squats and they've been on rings oh, yeah. and they've done all those things and they've been training CrossFit and they're one of those one in a million 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 guys who knows it might be we might I'm saying there still could be and I guess this is my big point I think there could be a much higher ceiling on fitness uh, than we have yet seen at the CrossFit Games I think I think so but I also don't think that it's it's I don't think the delta between what someone like Matt Fraser mm-hmm. or Rich or T is able to it's do. Ha- it's like hard when Matt is involved, I think. It's hard when Matt is involved because he's so exceptional. It's hard to almost picture what's beyond that. Maybe we'll like see that find that it's silly like, of yours, but the whole field, we might see more. How much him. faster well, can you drop from a muscle-up to a bar-facing burpee and back up to the muscle-up? Yeah, that's, yeah. that's the know. thing, right? And the, I, I, First off, my, my first point is that I would say I don't think it's NFL players. I don't think it would come yeah, from yeah. NFL. I think it's more likely to come from something like Like a Jordan MMA Burroughs. Or, yeah, mm-hmm. MMA, wrestling yeah. Or, or fighting sports, because that is not as a... Swimmers. Swimmers would probably fuck shit up. Maybe, They're because the, the reason why I say it's not mm-hmm. the NFL, because probably the single most like ridiculous human specimen on the face of the planet who stopped playing professional football and started doing CrossFit is an awful CrossFitter, and that's James Townsend. Mm-hmm. James Townsend, yeah. is, he can like power clean 405. He has like a 60-inch box jump, like a 40-something-inch yeah. vertical, super fast... But he's like hyper jacked. You can do like a million muscle ups in a row or something. But mm-hmm. he's not good at CrossFit because yeah. he just doesn't have the metabolic. Yeah, the, the, his body's built for like yeah. you know exploding <laughs> yeah. as opposed to for clarity. We value James Townsend based off those factors. We yes, do not care about sure his do. CrossFit. Oh, I don't ability. give a fuck how good he is. We follow the shit matter. out of him on Instagram because he he's picks so, heavy shit up. He's so impressive. Yeah, he's yeah. so impressive to watch yeah, yeah. anything that he's doing, and it's yeah. like. But but you've trained with him, I guess. Right? I have, yeah, yeah. yeah. So so is it basically just he doesn't have the engine for the long? Yeah, I mean, it's like if stuff. it's not if it's not under five minutes but, even that like you, but that's the thing is, but that's the thing it's like because because we have we have like we've dropped this one example and he has this skill set but he maybe is lacking in another but the thing is the more examples of those that come in I, I maybe and again this is where I don't know is there something innately about having that much power available to you that would hold you back in some of the domains necessary for CrossFit and make you burn too hot, whatever, whatever. I don't, maybe. The answer maybe is a yes. factor. Well, yes, but that's what I'm saying is when eventually, but will that, per, but if we're looking at 40 James Townsend's, is there going to be that one guy who can do that and do the other well, thing? Well, okay, so. He's just, he, he, because he's magic. Physiologically, that's funny. Physiologically speaking, yes. Yeah, yeah. He, you can just I be figure. too fast twitch. And while you can work over time to like shut down fast yeah. twitch and and like become more slow twitch, mm-hmm. uh, you can be, you can just be too explosive mm-hmm. to be good at CrossFit. Yeah. That's just mm-hmm. that's just part of the. Yeah, there's a lot of athletes like that. It's like um, <clears throat> isn't it called like occluding? Essentially, like wherever you like 
it's that pump feeling that you get where you mm. can't like operate anymore. Like mm-hmm. people that have like really strong power output and yeah. fast like fast twitch muscles, they occlude like way sooner and then they just can't buff it out. Yeah. So like when they redline, they're yeah, just like, yeah. Oh, I'm done. Yeah. And it's like a fucking like wrecked Ferrari like sitting yeah, in the corner. Yeah, yeah. I would I would argue that one of the things one of the uh sort of like un under appreciated physiological gifts that it takes to be good at CrossFit Mm -hmm. is you have to be durable. Mm -hmm. Like in order to be really good at CrossFit, you have to be able to take a beating on a regular basis Mm -hmm. without falling apart. And if you look at the types of volume that athletes like Rich and Matt and Tia and Annie and all these different athletes have put in over the past 10 years, that's really what it is. It's mm-hmm. like they have this sort of ability, and you can train that, but yeah. they, they have this baseline durability. And it's it's interesting because people would probably listen to this and point out the fact that, oh, Matt Fraser broke his back and had like back surgery, and that's very true. Yeah. But he broke his back doing something that was not a durability issue. He broke his back doing something that was an intensity mm-hmm. issue. It was very, very heavy back squats mm-hmm. constantly. Yeah, yeah. And that's a Which is always a good idea. Which is always a good idea. That's a different thing Listen, than... As doing, as someone that's done that, I would, I would say it's maybe not the best <laughs> yes. idea. As, as someone who spent a lot of years doing it and then had two surgeries. Yeah, and, <laughs> and so when you look at... I think that might be one of the things that... Uh, sort of under the the undercurrent My leg that came separates. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle's leg exploded at some point yeah, in yeah. case everyone doesn't know this I story. I fell, then the barbell fell all the way to the ground. Yeah. And then there was a gap where my quad used to be. But Classic the, sand. Go the ahead. under the undercurrent of what it takes to be exceptional at mm-hmm. CrossFit is these sort of secondary uh, capacities that a lot of people just don't necessarily even think of and one of the biggest ones is exactly that it's durability it's like are you physically tough enough to survive it yeah. to follow up on that by the way there's another thing that I think we need to look at which is the fact that what really is the difference between a crossfitter now versus a crossfitter like 10 12 years ago right like what's the difference between matt fraser's capacity now and like miko salo in 2009 Mm -hmm. uh and i think that's a that's a i mean i'm I'm just i'm just spitballing here because i just thought of it while we're having this discussion but like they're stronger a lot a lot stronger i mean our weightlifting has increased like dramatically, right? Mm-hmm. Miko won 2009. He snatched 175 mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. back snatch event. That's what's <laughs> 175. Up. I can get down with that type of number. Mm-hmm. 175. 175. Mm-hmm. Awful. Um, and yet the capacity has increased as much, but not as dramatically. Mm-hmm. And I wonder what we're going to see the 2029 CrossFit Games champion versus the 2019 CrossFit Games champion, right? Mm-hmm. Like in 2029, are we going to be seeing the games champion on the men's side snatching 350? <laughs> in 2029, it's... Or is it going to be like they still snatch around 305 to 315, yeah. but now they can run sub five miles while doing it. Yeah. They can run a 450 mile. They can run a sub it's five a, mile with that barbell on their back. That's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Year 2029, it's a, it's a face-off between the reigning champ for the last nine years... Tom Brady cyborg. <laughs> His whole lower body's been just replaced yes. with Dark cybernetics. And there's a new competitor that just brought came in. He transferred out of the NBA, 
His name's LeBronis James's. <laughs> it's uh, LeBron James's grandson. Uh, no, no, it's just LeBron James. Oh. <laughs> so what you're saying but, is, but that what about the 29-29 CrossFit Games <laughs> champion, who is actually a giant mechanized millipede with Tom Brady's head stuck on the <laughs> end? <laughs> it's still Tom Brady. It's like his brain's still there, so yes. he knows all the right things. But to Brady, do. but Brady Pede is going to win for about 900 years straight. Once yeah. he is, you know, he's going to Brady Brady Pede is going to hold on to that, and eventually John Connor and the Human Resistance is going to smash him. Well, <laughs> you guys remember the 30-30 games when Brady Pede simultaneously did all 20 <laughs> events on the first day. <laughs> it's like, well, that's why he has 100,000 arms. I mean, why else would he? That each one of them has a left hand on the end of it. We're not sure why. They couldn't even get it all on, on the mm-hmm. feed. Yeah. The broadcast wasn't large enough to pick up all of Brady <laughs> Pete. He just ended up crushing the whole stadium like an anaconda. <laughs> Uh, tens of thousands of people died. Anyway, continue. Sorry, CrossFit Games. <laughs> life is cheap in thirty thirty. Life, life is very cheap in thirty thirty. I mean, we've moved way beyond yeah, Earth yeah, at yeah. that point. Yeah, uh, you know, people have seeded the Moon. Yes. potentially even Mars. A They've seeded all now. the planets. <laughs> all the planets are pregnant now. Unmodified humans are like ants. Low gravity. Yeah, I think I think the the question that that we should ask, based off of looking at you know what the past 10 years of growth in terms of like fitness has been right. The top end of fitness. If you had, if you had told somebody that, you know, the last event at the CrossFit games is going to be the standard. It's going to be grace 30 muscles time is Bill. And like the fastest people are going to finish it at the last event of the CrossFit games in like seven minutes. Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of people would freak the fuck out. Yeah. But how much faster does that get? Like physically, is it possible to do something like the standard in, four minutes yeah. you'd like 30 clean and jerks unbroken 30 muscle ups unbroken 30 it snatches unbroken mm-hmm. probably not i mean I, I don't know maybe maybe if you're like bionic but probably not yeah well here's the thing is i think that those things will probably continue to group together tighter and tighter and tighter but i think that as those things become tight as everything becomes tighter and tighter and tighter the games the range of the modalities and the things that the games will test will naturally expand to try and find ways to separate the athletes out so maybe even in the same way that like the games 10 years ago felt like a comprehensive test of fitness and yet we look back on it and think well it didn't have this long range element or it didn't have inversion or it didn't have all sorts of things that we now consider to be vital parts of it it'll be interesting to see as what we currently consider to be a broad test of fitness and i believe that it very much is or the the, the most thorough one we have kind of shores up and all those cracks fill in what uh, are there other areas in uh, fitness that we just haven't pushed into yet even i don't know longer range stuff yeah. than that like you know, they spent it's a seven day run leading into the CrossFit. I'm yeah, trying to anything to cre- marathon. anything to create separation between Absolutely. them because there's what else are they going to do except find new things to push into as all of those things get shored up. And that might be where we see those leaps and bounds of fitness. It's not so much that people are going to do what Matt Frazier has done so much faster, but they might do what Matt Frazier has done about as fast as him, but also do some crazy other shit that blows our minds. Right, and that that I think is is if you look at where the biggest sort of okay so if you use weightlifting as an example yeah. right uh you know clean and jerk 370 pounds snatch 315 that's pretty good mm-hmm. uh on like a u.s national level it's decent mm-hmm. you could like compete at the american open mm-hmm. maybe compete at nationals there depending on the weight class do pretty mm-hmm. well but the weight class that these guys would be competing yeah. at you do okay right yeah. tia claire Toomey, 
very good weightlifter, yeah. Commonwealth gold medalist, Olympian, mm-hmm. uh, you know, very, very good on the international stage. So if you look at the progression of weightlifting, mm-hmm. you'd never have seen, you know, Jason Kalipa or Miko Salo mm-hmm. or Katie Matter or, um, you know, like Tanya Wagner becoming a national level or international level weightlifter. So the question becomes, what is the equivalent of that increase mm. among the other disciplines that CrossFit mm-hmm. uh, sort of gets into? It, you know, we're, are we going to be seeing? We have plenty of athletes who can snatch in the high two hundreds and run a five and a half minute mile. Mm-hmm. How many of those same athletes can run seventeen minute five Ks? Yeah. Right? How many of those same athletes can run thirty five minute ten Ks? Yeah. How many of those same athletes can swim a one K in? Wow. A relatively competitive time right can they do it in 10 minutes mm-hmm. and so there's i don't even know that might be super fast i, I have no idea. idea um but my my point is there's clear glaring holes in the overall like curvature of fitness right if, like fitness is like your area under the curve of like all these different tests that you can do like great at fucking weightlifting terrible at like you know mm-hmm. floor events on gymnastics <laughs> like you can't you don't really see anybody and these guys like doing fucking the ribbon that's what we need bounding. to introduce yeah. Ooh, the ribbon no. artistic gymnastics rhythmic gymnastics rhythmic gymnastics can do backhand springs and shit though yeah. Yeah. there's a video somewhere of him he doing can, all that that's true i remember that video mm-hmm. with Rich and Dan as well yeah. yeah when do the uneven bars get introduced right and know? i mean I, I think i think if you look at the see capacities if don't worry the men don't do that one if you but look then again, the, women didn't do rings in gymnastics, so maybe that's true. Maybe. It's very true. If you look at the if you look at the general capacities that are being tested in CrossFit, I think there's definitely an argument to be made that there's there's holes in the game of everybody that everyone shares. Like yeah. no one is exceptionally great at long shit, and we're pretty good at long shit in very specific instances. Like Lucas Esslinger is really fucking good. At rowing a marathon, mm. uh, Margot Alvarez is really fucking good at rowing a marathon. Mm-hmm. But that said, how are we at running marathons? Mm-hmm. We don't fucking know. Yeah. The longest distance that crossfitters have ever run is like I think eight miles, and that yep. was at the the Pendleton event. Yep. Um, so you know, even even that was more of like survive under the hot sun without water, mm. you little bastards, more than it was like a running event. Yeah. Hmm. So I think I think there's there's a lot of room there in the same way that we saw someone like Kalipa come out in like 2013 and was like, hey, man, 2013, 2014 is like I found a, a coach to develop this giant hole in all of our game aerobic capacity. Mm-hmm. And now everyone who wants to be good at CrossFit yep. works with Chris Hinshaw and does aerobic capacity yep. stuff. Every single champion in every division does Chris mm-hmm. Hinshaw's workouts. It's just like bar none. Mm-hmm. If you want to be the best, you have to work with a guy because he's. He's developing something that crossers have avoided and ignored for years and years yeah. and years and years. Though at this point, I feel like there, there there have been more years with Chris Henshaw than without. At this in the point, modern though, era, yeah. for sure. Yeah, in the modern era, yeah. for sure. And because that was like six years ago. Yeah, it feels <laughs> more than like that. it now. Yeah, yeah. actually, yeah, mm-hmm. it feels like yeah. it now, right? And so, you know, when you look at, I think when you look at those types of advances, mm-hmm. like six years ago, saying that oh, I'm working on my running three days a mm-hmm. week. And then actually improving that mm-hmm. that capacity, and you know, even Hinshot saying like at his best, Kalipa 
was basically primed to run a three-hour marathon, yeah. which isn't impressive if you're comparing it to the elites, but it's really fucking impressive when, when you you're look 220 pounds. <laughs> yeah, it's real. It's real impressive if you just look at him for a second. Strict press 260 pounds or whatever yeah, the fuck. Yeah. Like Jesus. Like that's that. That's a very impressive well, that, to be able to do that. That famous what is it 800s video with him right. and and uh, yeah, with him and Henshaw doing that thing. I was showing it to a track guy. And just hit play on it. And when Chris, or sorry, when that, when Jason took off on his first run, like just, or not his first run, one of his runs, it was like round seven or whatever, uh, took off. He kind of chuckled a little bit. And he's like, ah, oh, well, you know, because he looked like this big bear just tiredly running. And then a voice or a text or someone came up and explained like what round he was on and what times he had hit. And like immediately the laughter stopped and he goes, what really? And just like, like <laughs> and just, and you realize that he was like, oh, this big bear that he's watching on the thing is probably running faster and fitter than he was at the moment. You know, not being a currently yeah. in training professional uh, athlete, and I think that that's where it gets surprising. Is it's like. It's not maybe impressive as an elite runner, but to look at him and see that he's running those times was yeah. crazy. So. And I think that's interesting to point out that we're, as CrossFitters, elite CrossFitters mm -hmm. on the whole, very fucking good yeah. at power output if power output's being measured without locomotion. Mm -hmm. If you actually have to move your body, whether it's running or swimming or biking, elite CrossFitters tend to not be comparatively mm -hmm. as good at that as they are at something like power output measured on an erg right mm -hmm. power output on an erg is actually much easier for crossfitters to do i think on a whole just because it's much more like sit down and so suffer. why do you think that like actually like the body in transit is more difficult for people who have trained for crossfit than not is it just a body mass thing mm -hmm. is it this particular type of strength that's been developed which is more i mean what is why is it that because i've experienced it myself even when i was at my fittest i'm obviously i also can't fucking swim but i remember like <laughs> getting into the water and being like man just getting like four feet over in the pool is really killing me right now. Uh, like I thought, I'll just do some laps in the pool. And I made it like a third of the way across the pool. And I was like, nope, I'm all done. Running, even when I'm, regardless of how high my uh, my work capacity got, always that. But why do you, is there, do you think there's something in particular about the body kind of in transit that is difficult for CrossFitters? Yeah, I think I think moving your body through space is is uh, essentially as like a core part of its truth, a more difficult thing mm -hmm. than not moving your body yeah. through space regardless mm -hmm. of what the activity is right yeah. and that's one of the reasons why i mean there's there's probably physiological reasons for that muscle mass is one reason right you see people who can be really really fucking good on an erg on a rower which just purely measures capacity and work output on this machine mm -hmm. but does not require you to be able to locomote yourself yeah. right uh, the, if you have a lot of muscle mass and a lot of length on that mm -hmm. event, on that type of a, a machine, you actually are doing really well. You're 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 built for that. Whereas yeah. running requires like a certain cadence and a rhythm and a technique and a breathing mm -hmm. and like there's a lot there's a lot more to it simply because you're moving forward. And it's not that those things don't exist. There's a rhythm and a technique and a breathing and a cadence to rowing, or or you know biking or whatever. Mm -hmm. But it's very different than actually moving yourself mm -hmm. through space yeah mm -hmm. and then i think there's also probably an element of it where and obviously crossfitters for a long time needed to work more on running and something that i 
was never good at and many people weren't good at and the Henshaw stuff has helped. But there's also that aspect of like, it's like, are CrossFitters really bad at running? Like, or are we just accustomed for after years and years and years of jogging it itself as an end in itself being so popular in this country of measuring good running relative to people who basically put all of their emphasis on running and getting as tiny and getting as sort of small yeah. and withered down and like people who can run really good times. They can run sub four minute miles but their joints hurt and they can they're weaker than a bird and they can't pick anything up and all of that and it's like is that good running or i mean that is definitely elite running i'm not taking anything away from like the fittest runners in the world but we have uh, a standard for running in this country also that was built i mean my father was a marathon runner growing up he was running marathons all the time but it was always about he never touched a weight it was just always about running 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 all the time putting in miles that's not true my dad would lift weights intermittently but it wasn't a big part of what he was doing to become a good runner and so, and what fitness was back then also, like the fittest people in the country were these tiny little four feet, 11 men who were going to run across a desert or something like that. And I'm just wondering, like, are CrossFitters as bad, are, are, are CrossFitters as bad at running as all of that? Or do we just realize that it's fitness has a different picture? It's like being pretty damn good at running while also just having to drag around your big lats and big uh, traps and big quads all the time. So, yeah. you know, you're just going to fucking slow down. Chase likes this story I'm telling. Oh, I'm all about He's this. He's all about mm-hmm. this story. Yeah, because I, I mean, what's what's the point of getting super small and specialized yeah. at it? I mean, you're just building yourself to run away from stuff. Yeah. I'd rather, are I'd they rather be cowards? Yeah, are they already the best runners in the world for long distance while still being jacked yeah. is the question. Is that the case? Is Matt Frazier the best long distance runner in the world who's still also jacked? Here's my thing. Yeah. Who is the no, best? Ross Edgley is. Think oh, shit. I think minimally. Who's Good the point. best? Who's the fastest runner in the world who can also like clean like 250? That's all I'm asking. Like clean like 225. Let's just say 225. If you can clean 225 and you can. Now, I know most, a lot of elite runners I'm sure can clean 225. But I, that's all I want. I just want that because that's it for for for, mar- for ultra I would marathoners. Say like a, oh, ultra marathoners. Yes, for ultra marathoners. I demand. I demand you elite runners clean two twenty five, and then I'll start caring about your uh, eighty five mile race. Or don't even Alex go with ultra. Just go. Yeah. Just go with marathoners. Marathoners are pretty teeny people. Cam yeah. Haynes. Cameron yeah. Haynes could probably yeah, yeah. pay 220. Yeah. See, that's all disgusting I'm asking. I, looking, super though. fit guys. Yeah. Super fit guys. That's all I want. I just want that to be. I just want that nice. to be part of every all marathon. All I want is super fit guys. I'll, I want. Just you know super, I want super fit guys. I'm I want every marathon right to have a clean, a 225 clean involved. Come that's try it I'm out. Asking. I'm blanking on his name. Who's Who's my Navy SEAL homie? Uh, oh, Jocko Willink. No, no, Jocko. Yeah. Jocko's more mm-hmm. of like uh, crush weights, crush souls, crush. Yeah, the, but if you told throats. him he had to be an ultra marathoner, he'd who's the other guy? Out. Who's the other guy? He's oh, on road fucking road. Goggins. Goggins. Yes, Goggins could exactly. probably. No, no, no way. Goggins can clean two fifty five. Dude, Goggins <laughs> yeah. deadlifts like six hundred. No shit. Yeah, really? man. Oh, his like sick. lifetime PRs in the high six hundreds or something. Nice. I've seen a video of him like in the past year and a half pulling like yes. four fifty. <laughs> and this is my point. So <laughs> like, this is my point. Reps. So this is my point. All those guys, Cam Haynes, Goggins, you you tell me that that's the best runner in the world, I believe you. Like say like that guy, he's fit, he can pick shit up and he can run for 85 miles. That that's is the impressive. best runner in the fucking world. I want to see him I'll clean take that. 250. You know. I'd like to see Goggins clean 250. Some fu- but but my point being some 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 fly everywhere. <laughs> some some regular ass marathoner with little bird bones, I don't buy it. I don't buy it one second. But yeah, Ross Edgley super jacked. David Goggins is super mentally jacked. Mm-hmm. And Cam Haynes uh, is just really, really dumb, but also really, really tough. Uh, see, there you go. Is he dumb? I didn't know that. I, I don't think he's. Hmm. Yeah, I think he's a little dumb. <laughs> <laughs> but we're all a little bit dumb. Who knows, man? 
He's just tougher than all of us. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's do something we haven't done in a while, guys. What's what is that? that? Let's talk about movies. Oh, yeah. Shit. yeah. Uh, two movies in particular I want to talk about. Yes. I want to talk about Peanut Butter Falcon. I yeah. want to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I have not seen Peanut Butter Falcon. Yet. God, Peanut Butter Falcon. Sorry. Damn it, man! Can't you? It had a limited release in Austin over the past like two weeks, and you still I'm haven't sorry. seen it. Sorry, Taylor. Right, Tyler. Tyler. I'm shit. Sorry, Tyler. <laughs> sorry, Tyler. I haven't seen it yet. And let us watch it on your phone. Go pay the goddamn ticket. I will pay you the ticket. I'll no, don't pay me the ticket. Mail it to Give him. the ticket to Tyler. Give the ticket money I to Tyler. Send the money. I'll buy a ticket right now. I can't see it, but you know, I'll support the movie. I'll buy one <laughs> yeah, on my fucking phone. Right. About, why, Whatever. Why Fine. We won't talk theaters. about we won't talk about peanut butter. We Falcon. we will Fuck talk about it. I will see it. We're I just haven't about it, seen God it. Damn yet. it. I'm still playing catch up. If you are in a city in which Peanut Butter Falcon is playing, one of my buds, Tyler, he's fucking incredible. He and Mike uh, another one of my friends they made this fucking movie and it's amazing it has Shia LaBeouf in it yeah. and Dakota Johnson yeah. and I love Shia LaBeouf a new guy Zach Gottsagen who's incredible yeah tell your girlfriend it's the girl from Fifty Shades of Grey is that who that is Dakota yeah. Johnson oh, okay there yeah. you go she's Don Johnson's daughter Don Johnson no fucking shit <laughs> you didn't know that i didn't she's know in either. Sus- she's starring in Sus- she just started suspiria with tilda swinton i didn't what yeah she's, didn't she's like the hottest female she's star like the hottest right female now. star around is she really yeah she's far more on the rise than shia labeouf at the moment she's the biggest star in that <laughs> goddamn <laughs> star in that watch, movie way ahead of watch shia LaBeouf. how you speak about shia labeouf <laughs> whoa, whoa hurtful come on now hurtful on words now. from everybody no, no, i didn't know any of that she was in 21 jump street kind of for a minute. What was she in 21 Jump She was in Social Network. She's the one who Sean Parker one. like wakes up in bed with and she has Stanford on her underwear. I haven't seen that movie. Which I've, I could describe in eerie. detail. Yeah, that was very eerie. <laughs> Stanford. Uh, a couple of the letters get lost in the middle of Stanford. Um, <laughs> Stafford. <laughs> wow. I didn't know she was Don Johnson's. Yeah. Looking for a heartbeat. That's Don go. Johnson, right? Yeah. Well, the uh, that is then, what uh, he is well, famous I'm, I'm, for. I'm mostly thinking about uh, mostly thinking about uh, Django, Django Unchained. Is she know? in Django Unchained? No, he, too? Is. he is. He's oh, the plantation right. owner. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's right. That's right. Yeah. Also, Manhunter. Everyone see Manhunter. It's way better than Red Dragon. Uh, yes. um, wait, is he in that? Wait. Oh, wait. oh, never mind. Sorry. No, he's in no, Miami no, no. Vice. Oh, Sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Was, was, was. I, I, Different yeah. Michael Mann thing, Different but I get Michael it. Man I understand yes, 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 how yes, yes, your brain yes. works. I'm sorry. I'm is sorry. Don Johnson in uh, fucking the guy who destroyed Star Wars' new movie? Uh, Ryan Johnson. Uh, <laughs> Ryan Johnson. Uh, maybe Related to Ryan Johnson. Uh, <laughs> I don't think so. Don't he's don't in, uh, who, it's like a whodunit. It's, a whodunit. it's called <laughs> Knives Out. I think yeah. I saw a trailer for I it. Know, he he might be in it. I did watch the trailer, but it was like an ensemble cast, so yeah. I can't recall if he was one of them. It, which but is he's a in everything nowadays. Like he's having a major resurgence right now. He's he's, he's in fucking everything that, these days. That so. trailer uh, has like a bunch of my favorite actors in it. Yeah. Fucking Michael Shannon's in it. Captain America's in it. don't like that guy. There's a whole bunch of really cool actors and actresses in that movie, and uh, I'm never going to see it because fuck Ryan Johnson, you I guess. Hate Ryan yeah, Johnson. Yeah. Much. Did you? I hate don't. Looper. Isn't I thought Ryan Looper Johnson? was okay. I will. I will see it. I will definitely see it. I I'm not Looper soured. Okay. I'm not necessarily soured on Ryan Johnson as such, even if I did not like his Star Wars. His Star Wars. Movie. I'm gonna wait. I'm gonna wait for impressions mm-hmm. from you guys before yeah, I go. His, his, his Star Wars. Star Wars movie. His Star Wars movie wasn't unskilled. It takes a lot of skill and deliberation. 
to meticulously destroy Star Wars <laughs> as an intellectual property from here on out. Yeah, and it's really it's like how do, do you really salt the earth of Star Wars? <laughs> It's like it's the kind of the most goodwill you have towards anything. And yeah. It's like it already came pretty close, but then they bound it all the way back with the Disney thing. How do you ruin yeah. it? Anyway, I'm just Star yeah. Wars turned into Carthage. Carthage Romans destroyed it after three different wars with it over hundreds of years. Destroyed it, knocked everything down, salted the earth so nothing can grow there. That's what they did to Carthage. Do you visit Carthage today? Is it a great tourist location? No. Never fucking heard of it. Doesn't exist. Yeah. That's Star Wars. Now. That's they were Let's, like, eat a dick, Carthage. No <laughs> one will even go and visit your ruins and take shitty pictures. That's wild. Fuck you. It, it, can you imagine, by the way, just what it was like like thousands of years ago when you would just go to war with another country and yeah. you actually could do something like yeah. completely fucking Erase them? Erase them from the history yeah. books. But Yo. And, and is there's ever a point, though, is there ever a point where, like, someone was just salting the earth? Like, because it's like, you had to do it. And he's, like, sprinkling <laughs> salt so plants can't grow. And he's thinking, seems a little excessive, don't you think? We no already way. murdered all of them. Well, even during the Civil <laughs> War, we did that. Yeah. Uh, the North yeah. did that to the South. Mm-hmm. They pulled up all the railroad ties. They fucked up all the fucking yeah. uh, farmland. It's like you just—they just go total war. Yeah. This this talk of war just reminded me of a lesson that I learned from uh, some uh, Mayans while I was down in Belize yeah. and uh, Tikal and stuff. Is it how to cut someone's. And they're talking about. <laughs> they're t- yeah, th- essentially they're talking about how the Aztecs. What mm-hmm. made them so so great at war is that they would go. And send like a, like an arbiter to meet with the other mm-hmm. army's arbiter, and yeah. at that they would, like the Aztecs would be like, "We're gonna send this many people, and you're gonna only be allowed to send this many people." Uh-huh. They would essentially guarantee victory <laughs> by saying, <laughs> "You're allowed ten people, we're gonna send ten people," uh-huh. and then they would just show up with way fucking more oh. and just wreck shop. <laughs> <laughs> That's that you gotta you keep, don't hate the player, hate the game, yeah. dude. That doesn't work in modern day because yeah. they'd be like, "Well, we have a drone, and it looks like you got <laughs> way fucking more." Aztecs like were, were just liars. They were just very sneaky, as it turns out. They so were very very sneaky. Anyway, the point of this. I mean, that does remind me of Ozymandias, right? Ozymandias mm. is like a really famous example of uh, there's like they found a, a statue, <laughs> like a broken statue. where that's, only a, that's a poem yeah. by. Uh, uh, right. But the, po- the yeah, poem's yeah. about, yeah. right? It's about this it, like. It's real, right? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah, it's about this like it's like a placard that basically explains like. Uh, look at all I my will, great works. Look at all, look at all my great works. Is, I don't know yes. whether it's real or not, but it. I think I, I, yeah, I, 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 I don't think it's. I think it's just a poem. Is it, it, just a poem? Is I think it it's, straight fiction or is it yeah. actual real? Is it William Let's Blake, find right? out. Is it Let's William find Blake, it, or is it, it sounds Percy like it. Shelley or something. Uh, or something? What was the point though? Is it that he didn't actually have anything? It's that it's that it was it's that it was completely erased from history. That nobody knows who this great quote unquote ruler was. Um, but anyway, the point of googling the point the point of this story. It was apparently inspired by a statue oh, yes, yes. of Ramses the oh, Second, okay. uh, who was known in Greek as Ozymandias. There you go. Okay, okay perfect. Okay, okay, there we go. So real big yeah. facts. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. The point is, is that yeah. the winner, the winner in history, gets to write history. Absolutely, fucking yes, they yes, do. Yes, yes. Um, so anyway, the actual point was go see Peanut Butter Falcon. Yes, that's oh, what we're trying shit. to get at. Hard because pivot. Dakota Johnson. <laughs> because Dakota Johnson, exactly. and therefore 
Ozymandias. Oh, Ozymandias. Ob- Listen, obviously. We can't spell everything out for you Which guys. Which is what? Follow who, along, guys. That's who Come Shia LaBeouf plays in the movie. Yes, that's Ozymandias. right. Ozymandias. Yes. That's right. Follow along, everybody. Um, so well, that's who Jeremy Irons plays in the new Watchmen series, Ozymandias. That's oh, right. Mm-hmm. Uh, is that an good? Older, Where can I watch that? An, it's on HBO. I don't know. if an, It doesn't come an, out yet. I don't think it's out yet. He plays an older Ozymandias, and I'm really pumped about that. So you're saying the third episode's when I should get in? Yeah, basically. Hand cramp. Whoa, easy, buddy. Whoa, your thumb was <laughs> stuck there. That was weird. No, okay, no, from holding this fucking microphone because we can't afford microphone stands. <laughs> no, no, guys, we're trying. <laughs> you guys, microphone stands are for for loser podcasts for sure. Where you can be like, anyway, I was talking about, yeah, yeah, and then you yeah. let go of it and it floats yeah, there. Yeah, it's really yeah. cool. Who wants that? It's really crazy, magical. Floats being held by an arm. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because all four yeah! of us have seen it. Yeah. Uh huh. America uh, hopefully has seen it at this point. I mm. I would hope so. So guys, we're going to talk about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. If you haven't spoiler seen it, alerts, spoiler alert, I guess. I guess. And there are things to spoil, you sons of bitches. Boy, well, howdy, are they? Let's. Uh, I thought it was okay. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> that is the let's, that's let's, the let's wrong answer. There. Moving on. Let's start Go there. I thought it was okay. I, I don't think it was amazing. his best. I don't think it was his best movie. Oh. Uh, I thought it was. I thought it was a solid Tarantino. How romp. dare you? But I, fucking I felt like it was uh, the I thought the ending was incredibly satisfying yes. was it made up for, uh, you know, any of the sort of like what to me was kind of like a wandering portion of the first couple hours of the movie. But like it more faster. It'll make this easier. So yeah. I don't have to. I just I just like it. <laughs> you got to <laughs> like this movie, boy. Yeah, I, I, I thought it was OK. No, OK. Uh, yeah. Uh, here's the thing. I think that a lot of this is my honest take on it is I've I've been listening to a lot of of different opinions about it and kind of people, a lot of people who really, really love it. And a lot of people were like, um, it's really good. I think it's one of the maybe one of his best, all of that. And here's legitimately my kind of take on get your microphone closer to your face. Well, I should get a microphone stand. I think that's what I need. <laughs> then it could be far away. All the hand time. cramp. Hand cramp. Um, hey, man, those are real things. But uh, with regard to that. I think that the movie is so, 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 so um, kind of without precedent in its construction. And I mean, what I mean by that is Tarantino, most people when they're writing films lean very, very heavily on just sort of replicating just a lot of structures and a lot of things that you've seen before, a lot of narrative ideas. You're seeing some variation on something you have seen very, very clearly before. So that by the time you make it around to the end, you kind of know where you are, you know where you've been, you know what movie you just saw, and therefore you can talk about it pretty quick when you come out of it. The thing about Tarantino is he's moved so far beyond that at this point that he really is kind of inventing a new mechanism by which to tell movies every time he tells a movie. Hateful Eight was a little bit more traditional. Death Proof was definitely way the fuck out there. But every time he's kind of creating from scratch a new type of movie to watch. It's like, here's a type of movie that has never existed before. And I think that a lot of people who feel strongly compelled, even even a little repelled by the film currently, and I thoroughly believe that this is the case, will eventually come around to loving it a lot. But I think currently a lot of people who watch it feel very unmoored by it. They feel very thrown by it because they walked into something that they have no precedent for, uh, for experiencing, for cataloging, for grounding in other things that they have seen in the past. Because... Again, it's a f- largely a, a fun and, and, and kind of almost trivial film for 90% of it, it would seem, but that explores some really, really interesting and really, really deep ideas and is incredibly 
buoyant and fun and pulls you along and betrays far, far, far greater depth upon repeat viewings. And then you realize that entire thing that would that would be the career highlight of another filmmaker is a law is a long, 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 long setup to a punchline at the end of the movie that then rewrites the entire movie that you have seen up to that point and clarifies instantaneously what all of the symbols within it means, why the narratives came together in the way they did, and demands it to be viewed again so that you can re-watch it now integrating that ending into every other aspect mm. that you've watched and to do all of that and to do all of that and deliver not only that intellectually not only deliver that artistically but to do it and in process of doing it because he's so goddamn good deliver the most propulsive buoyant fun Ex, like stand up out of your seat applaud kind of movie going experience he's just kind of like with inglorious bastards kind of like with 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 pulp fiction he just took this kind of like when those nfl players enter the uh, uh games. crossfit games it's not so much about comparing it's like he just took the he took the uh the stick by which we measure and he just moved it further up the field than anyone has i think with this thing and it's now it's up to the rest of us to kind of slowly catch up with him sort things out and then once people have seen seven or eight other movies that are a lot like Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and people say it has a kind of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood quality to it people are going to look back on Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and they're going to talk about why it's their favorite movie and they're going to remember the fact that they watch it every single time it's on TV they've gone back to it again and again and again and then eventually we'll talk about it as and I do believe this to be his best film with the exception of Pulp Fiction which is mm. where I would put it in his filmography mm. just because really comparing it to the other films in his filmography it has it is both so kind of form changingly innovative it is also at the same time has will have i i predict massive cultural penetration in the way that django and uh and glorious bastards just really didn't have cultural penetration people are going to talk about it more it's going to be more relevant and then uh and then there's a third dimension to that which is just you know, uh, when I was kind of, I was really spending a lot of time thinking about how it stacked up against the other movies, uh, and just between cultural penetration, how innovative it is, and just what an amazingly visceral, viscerally fun, good time it is. The only thing, the only film I can say that does all of those things better is Pulp Fiction. So I would put it Pulp Fiction, Once Upon a Time, and then sort of everything else I'd sort out mm -hmm. uh, below that. But I think that's one of the films that is going to only grow in its esteem. Uh, over the course of the next year, two years, ten years. Yeah. And let me talk not about Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but about one of the other best movies ever made, A Clockwork Orange. There you go. And I'll come back around to this here. I uh, showed, you know, I, I, was, I was used to, as a, you know, as a, 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 uh, part of the thing I do is uncomfortably force people to watch movies they don't really want to watch in odd circumstances. So I remember uh, many years ago when I was really into Clockwork Orange, I forced uh, one of my aunts to watch <laughs> A Clockwork Orange. And there was a few other people there, but she was not a movie person. Uh, she'd maybe seen some Hollywood movies and all that. And so she watched A Clockwork Orange and I asked her what she thought of it at the end. And her only response was, that was weird. Yeah. All right. And that really is, I think, the response most people are having to 
Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. They, A Clockwork Orange was one of the best movies ever made and very innovative in every possible way. The most thematically rich movie and the most viscerally rich movie you can possibly imagine. Very unorthodox novel-like structure to the whole thing because it was based, you know, just strictly off of a novel. It's going to take quite a while for people to even be able to interpret it as anything other than just weird because they don't know how to process what they've seen and understand what it was trying to say and really get past the differentness Well, that's the thing is, I think that to a large extent people do get the experience that they've had, but I think the reason people say it is weird is because every, because many of the things that many of the, 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 easy, the readily accessible rhetorical devices they have for talking about movies just don't really apply. They can't talk about the this or the second act it did this or I liked this character because I, I the bad guy was that. They, the rhetorical devices they have for discussing movies aren't there and so everyone's a little bit dumbstruck and a little bit, that's weird. What do you think about it? But I think we've talked too much about that let's talk about the actual substance of the movie because how does the ending rewrite the movie up to that point and armin what did you think about the ending to <laughs> once upon a time and chase what did you think about the ending to once upon a time in hollywood well I'll, i will say, i'll say this uh i i was surprised but not shocked mm -hmm. because I, so i went into this movie having obviously not the same sort of movie knowledge as you guys shut but up keep talking i've seen a bunch of tarantino films you know what i mean and so i expected you know kind of a a, a novel structure a novel as in unique a unique structure uh, sort of like you know let's sit in this conversation for 12 minutes and mm -hmm. see where this thing goes mm -hmm. you know surprise moments that nobody could see coming and i also just based off of inglorious bastards 100% expected some sort of revision of history mm -hmm. and knowing that the entire thing was based around uh, you know the the murder of, of mm -hmm. Tate and like you know the Manson stuff and like mm -hmm. oh they're, they're next door neighbors I was like this is gonna be this is gonna be different this yeah. isn't gonna be just a retelling of this story yeah. um, so I actually was laughing my fucking ass off during yeah. the final 10 minutes in the movie yeah. I thought it was so fucking funny and so well executed and so fun to see this entire sort of thing come together to like this mm -hmm. weird change um and that to me it's not like the the first two hours of the movie didn't need redemption it wasn't bad mm -hmm. i enjoyed the sort of like strange like let's take a walk over these two days and mm -hmm. see where these people are at in their lives and then it all makes sense of why those two days had to be the part of the story you know, mm -hmm. for, you know, when when it all ends, because, you know, it's like you learn about Brad Pitt's character. Brad Pitt has to meet Tex. He has to, like, get to know these people mm -hmm. and, like, understand there's something strange about them. Like, you know, he goes to the ranch and, the, you know, you have to learn about Leonardo, Leonardo DiCaprio's character and how he's kind of, like, on the bubble end of his career, but losing confidence through it. And then how he gains his confidence back, like, he never would have fucking... Mm -hmm talk shit to that like jalopy that's in the middle of his in his uh cul-de-sac if he <laughs> if he hadn't just come back from italy and hadn't mm -hmm. just like revitalized his career type thing mm -hmm. uh so like all this all these things jalopy yeah <laughs> nice right all these things have to happen so like it all made sense to me mm -hmm. leading up to that but the the last 10 minutes of the movie are just so fucking good mm -hmm. and they're so it's so entertaining just on its own and i like i, I actually <laughs> really like the idea of 
you describing it as a punchline mm-hmm. because it, yeah. it yeah. really is. The yeah. entire movie is a it setup for this yeah. pu- this to be pulled off. It's the off. best stand-up bit ever with a yeah. very long setup. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's yeah. like, imagine, okay, imagine, take yourself back in time, 1969, you know, Cielo Drive, the uh, whatever, whatever, Tate murders. Now, they didn't have a next-door neighbor who was right next to the gate of the Tate residence, Tate Planters. But imagine if they did. Right. I'm going to put, because I'm God, I'm God of this universe, I'm going to create, two, God is going to create two characters for the sole yeah. purpose of this, <clears throat> put them right here. Yep. Mm. And so, and so really, it's like when we heard the premise of the film, you know, uh, a lot of it is like, oh, what if Sharon Tate had next door neighbors and what would their life be like? Blah, 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 blah. And I sort of thought, okay, that's an inter- interesting jumping off point for a movie. But then you see the movie and you realize that that's not the jumping off point for the movie at all. The jumping off point for the movie feels like it's the Spawn Ranch. And the Spawn Ranch is, you know, which is interesting, has not been part of the really the story that has been told that we tell ourselves about the Manson murders. It just hasn't traditionally been like I, I was like vaguely aware of it, but I had only started reading about it once this movie was announced. Blah 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 blah. But is there, I'm hearing sounds. You're hearing birds. Oh, okay. Sorry, I thought it was for some reason. I thought was, I don't oh, hear anything. Oh, that's so weird. For some reason, I thought it was. Yeah, right, there are fine. birds outside. Oh, okay, there's birds. Um, okay, so. Spawn, uh, Ranch. Spawn, Spawn Ranch. Ranch. So Spawn Ranch, though, I mean, it's just interesting. This interesting thing that was really not part of the story that we, we've ever really told about it before, but I really think that in the future, as we talk about Manson murders and stuff, the Spawn Ranch will be a much bigger part of that story. But what's interesting about that sequence in general and just the hat as a jumping-off point for the movie as a whole is it puts the Manson murders, the Manson family, at the center of a cultural revolution, not just nationally, but puts it in the middle of the cultural revolution of Hollywood, in literally the cultural revolution in cinema at that time. So you have like, there's the great scene where Steve McQueen, who's kind of an old school leading man, points at two of the kind of new hip guys in Hollywood when he's telling the story of Sharon Tate and comments about how they both look like 12-year-old boys, very much the same way that, you know, uh, uh, fucking um, uh, Hoffman, uh, Dustin Hoffman would in uh, you know did in The Graduate and all of that. This kind of new hippie '60s monkeys, uh, uh, Roman Polanski, that kind of guy, leading man, leaving behind the Steve McQueens and the Rick Dalton, who's sort of a Steve, like a lesser successful Steve McQueen <laughs> in the film. So what's interesting is that this real historical event puts these kind of the dark side of the cultural revolution the dark side of uh the dark side of um this big upheaval of the dark side of of the hippie world it puts it literally in the decaying relics of the sets for where they shot cowboy serials back in the day and that is the most thematically rich and loaded way like moment in time to 50 years later, or however long it's 50 been. Years 50 years later. years later. It was released almost on the 50-year yes, anniversary. Re-examine, re-examine this current cultural moment we are in right now, where quite literally Hollywood is being blown up and exploded from within by a cultural and ideological revolution that people like Quentin Tarantino feel like they're caught up in the middle of. And it's many different kinds of revolutions. You could say it's the ideological revolution of the last couple of years. You could say it's the technological 
revolutions of the past 10 years with cinema, you know, with sorry, with uh, shooting on film and projecting on film going away. And this is, of course, typified in the scene with uh, uh, Brad Pitt's Rick Dalton character. He goes on set to perform this thing. He gets challenged to actually be an actor, and he has to literally costume himself like a hippie. He's literally asked hey, you want to be part of New Hollywood? Guess what? I know you showed up hungover just to you know play the heavy, but this is your opportunity today to be a part of New Hollywood. Dress up like this guy. See yourself in a new way. Here's a girl who's eight. She fucking gets yeah, it. Like, give and me like, Hamlet. Yeah. And she mm. gets intimidated by an eight-year-old girl who's studying all these new schools of acting. I mean, he was very much a stand flat foot, stare at the other guy and squint your eyes and say the line kind of an actor. And she's talking about process and all of this. And it pushes him into a full-blown fucking panic attack he's being left behind and then he rallies and he comes back and he gets it and you realize maybe maybe if you put in a little bit if he opened himself up a little bit he could step through that gate he could step through that gate into new hollywood that he had literally been on the other side of obviously you know then this is typified in the end with the literal gate he gets invited into and then of course when he goes to hollywood and he comes back he's starting to look like the character he portrayed on the thing. He has longer hair all of a sudden. He's, you know, wearing the jacket, the, the sideburns. Yeah, the sideburns. He's starting to look like that guy. And it's oh, just this shit. wonderful and it's and it's that wonderful thing where he he's literally called upon. He's he's complaining and he's bitching and he's moaning and he doesn't want to go to Rome. And then all of a sudden he shows up for another work a day job, hung over as usual, and then it's like Here's your shot. Uh, I want you to do something different. And I just love that entire sequence. And then what that does setting him up in Rome. And the fact that that one perfect day, you see him do that whole arc. And this is the exact same day where he drops him off, where Brad Pitt drops him off at set, picks up the girl, goes to Spawn Ranch, and has that entire sequence, which symbolizes the exact same conflict, but from a different dimension, which is you have this you know, old, you know, war hero cowboy going to check in on an old man who, as it turns out, even that very notion gets perverted when you realize that the old man is happier to be there fucking, you know, teenage girls and he's content and really it's Cliff. And that's the other fun thing is that you realize just how lonely Cliff is at that point because he thinks... Because that's the other thing I love about the whole I'll suck your cock thing on the drive up there with the girls like... He already knows he's on that mission, which you get on the second time, because he doesn't pick her up. She's leaning into his car. She's leaning into his car. And when she says, I'm living up at the Spawn Ranch, he goes, oh, so you and a bunch of friends like you are living at the Spawn Ranch. And she goes, yeah, and he's like, get in the car. And so the whole drive, he's going up to check out his friend. And so he is quite literally, so Rick Dalton is, Rick Dalton represents the image of the cowboy. He represents the Hollywood ideal of the cowboy, whereas Cliff represents being an actual cowboy. Like he literally, he hears a call that there might be someone in trouble up at the ranch. An old man might be in trouble. Literally at yeah, the ranch. Yes, yeah, he ranch. sidles up. He drives out to the ranch, all the way out to the ranch. He takes a look around. He meets some strange looking locals. He literally walks into a western town. He ends up finding out the old man's kind of okay, kind of not. He ends up getting to some trouble, again, on the dusty strip of the Western. What do they do? They go get Tex, who rides on, in on horse. his horse to get his horse. And this all leads, <laughs> and where does it eventually lead? To a big shootout at the end between Tex, the guy who he at the ranch, and, uh, and him and the acid cigarette and all of that. And it's just, 
But think about the conflict that's being typified in that dimension as well. You have an old cowboy. He was had a particular idea about the workmanly nature of what it was. I mean, he's a stuntman. He's not an actor. He worked at the ranch. He did falls. He was a handy guy. He has all of that kind of stuff. He And now he's suddenly looking at this strange perversion. And he, even when he's going to meet his friend, he thinks he's there going there to help him. And he gets spit back out. You know, he realizes, this doesn't even belong to you anymore. And we and that sets Cliff up so perfectly. Because A, it makes him look like a huge badass. And it sets up everything we need for the end. But it also, it shows us that Cliff is like really searching for his place in all of this. Uh, and that's what's so wonderful about the end when he finally gets fired. And all of that and we don't know what's going to happen and then Leo all the shit happens at the end he's like you're going to we realize that Cliff's just going to keep driving for him and keep living with him forever but now this new new Hollywood version of Rick Dalton this new Steve McQueen post him making the conversion to new Hollywood version of Rick Dalton he's going to be driving for him and I like that idea and I think it's pretty cool Chase what did you think of the movie that was pretty tight (laughs) no it's honestly uh yeah, man, I enjoyed it from from the get go. Um, I liked I like kind of like the mundane storytelling at the beginning, yeah. kind of like setting up pieces with uh, without any real like understanding of what was coming. Because yeah, like yeah. until you like explained all that, now that like radically makes more sense. I was just like, oh yeah, that's why. It's whenever he whistles, like yeah. you know, cracks his lips. His dog like jumps up and gets fed, but like, that's the those were the big you, but, obvious things. But that that's a great thing. But I'm saying it's like that's what's so great about it is it works thematically, but also works mechanically in that way. It's oh, like yeah. there's so many satisfying setups and payoffs that just and are so the, that punch you the in whole, the dick. The whole very fun, very lovely scene where he goes to his trailer and feeds his dog there. Mm-hmm. It's a very long scene. You enjoy it for its own sake because it's very charming there. But what do you see? He has a beastly pit bull who's very well trained with very specific very well signals that he feeds with these giant. <laughs> chunky cans of dog food that literally factor into the climax as a weapon. And as a misdirection, that scene has this very light tone, which is good. It synergizes perfectly with what we need to set up Cliff's character at that moment, but it's another way to, in a a very clandestine manner, set up all of these very violent things in a way that your brain is not... For instance, if he he came back and he had a mean dog behind a chain-link fence and he throws him a bone and the dog goes after it, and we have to set up that mean dog he has for later, the ending wouldn't be half as satisfying because... Well, he has a mean dog. It came back no, as a mean dog. They set up a very loyal, yes. loving, yes. and obedient dog. And yeah. a funny dog. And, and a, a silly dog. dog. Well, and a goofy dog is even, what it feels like. Even during the movie, uh, they kept they kept referencing. There's there's like the flamethrower keeps coming up. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And you know from the moment the flamethrower comes up that it's going to be yes. used at some point. Well, and then that's see that it winking in idea. The that winking idea. But that's that, 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 that is yeah. yes. When, that's when you see it in the closet. Yeah, yeah. Fix the, yeah. When he goes to fix and, the and, antenna, it's like in the corner and in the, the camera shed. tips down to it and just it cuts a little away. Bit. Just, just a little for a bit. second. I missed it. Yeah, yeah. But that's I was like. Rick Dalton's gonna fucking use this flamethrower. <laughs> well, my first, literally the image I got the first the image I got, and this is where Tarantino is ahead of you. Is that my first thought was, oh my god, and like imagining Rick Dalton like flamethrowing all of the Manson for kids, you know, and all that or something. And I'm like, oh, oh, what's gonna happen? And the ending they gave was so much better than that. You know, it's like how how do you make it better even than that? And so you do, and it's like it's. All of the rich ideas and everything are great, and I love them, but it's just that they are so 
perfectly written and then perfectly executed. And then whatever you think, and you're like, I see where he's going, the flamethrower, I, I can anticipate what's going to happen. Then he says, well, because people are going to anticipate what's going to happen. They're probably imagining an 11 out of a 1 to 10, so I have to deliver a 15. You know? And he, that's what he did, and he's just, and he has that gear, and he can do that. Because you even look at the ending sequence, and just the brilliance of, God damn it, we've turned Rick Dalton, in, not Rick Dalton, we've turned Cliff into a basically a superhero at this point, and that's what he is. He's a Billy Jack-like superhero, like of this, like, you know, uh, like kind of warrior, poet, kind of weird cowboy Talk guy. Talking to the goddamn no, microphone. No, I refuse. <laughs> Um. Uh. Anyway, point being, he is this guy, but they basically turned him into a fucking superhero. And how do you then introduce an element of uncertainty? How do you then introduce an element of danger? And obviously, the the the, the acid cigarette is the thing that does that because you're like, okay. All, there's no tension if Rick is anywhere near the scene because the idea is it's just Cliff a question. Is anywhere near the yeah, scene. Yeah, sorry, that, that, that Cliff is anywhere near the scene because you know that he can sort of essentially destroy anyone. But you don't know. It's not like he gets a sedative or something. Like he takes LSD and we have no idea if that's good or bad. Like it was just weird. And it's incredibly entertaining though. And it makes it, but it puts that in whole sequence on a razor's edge. Yeah. And that razor's edge just sets you up so that when it ultimately does deliver that ending, it just adds even more power into it. And it's just, yeah. uh, it's just all the pieces just, I just, and then the ideas that then are at work is he simultaneously delivers, delivers this thing that mechanically, viscerally, just explodes your pelvis with a dick punch. It does all of that at the end. But that dick punch ending is so, so, so thematically loaded that it rewrites the entire film up to that point. I mean, literally, it's harder to get... And I don't think that necessarily Rick is a is a is a Rick is is Tarantino's voice, but I think he's a he is a Cliff, voice. Sorry, for Rick. 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 I don't think that Rick is Tarantino's voice, but I think that Rick is certainly a voice for a part of Tarantino in the sense that he is a voice for uh, every character is kind of a voice for part of the writer. And there's almost no more kind of loaded and fun and in-your-face thing than the, 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 the Manson car pulls up to kill Sharon Tate. The dark side of the Cultural Revolution shows up to sully, corrupt, and eviscerate a, the kind of symbol, the, the princess of Hollywood who lives up in her castle, and Rick Dalton staggers out with a with a with a pitcher full of margaritas and literally <laughs> screams into their window, "You don't belong here!" <laughs> uh, and uh, it's like, "Go away, you fucking hippies! Back out!" Back out of the driveway, like he shoes them away, and then that which perfectly typifies everything that the film's ideas have been up to that point, also simultaneously typifies what the dynamic between Rick and Cliff has been up to that point, because the entire movie is about hit Rick, or sorry, Cliff, cleaning up Rick's messes. He, you know, when he drunk drives and does all these things. And so now, just on a comedic duo level, it's, he went and talked mad shit to a bunch of murderers in a car and then went to the backyard to hide. And then <laughs> Cliff just wanders into the living room to just deal with the brunt of all of his bullshit because he couldn't pick up on the fact that these are really serious looking people because he was too drunk to realize he was in danger. So then it's like this scene that's 
all the themes of the movie, and yet it's also the setup to the punchline between those two characters as Rick's cleaning up his mess, he's taking the hits for him, he's carrying the load for him, he's literally his stunt guy, his job is to take falls for Rick, and at the end, the ultimate fall is, remember when you went up to that car full of murderers and yelled at them all and said, I dare you to come try and kill me, and then hit, and then he has to deal with that at the end. And it's like (laughs) all of that loaded into that one perfect Swiss watch, beautiful fucking ending. And then once you see the ending and you kind of understand all of the symbols and what they, how they relate to each other because the, the themes are put on Front Street and you also are relieved suddenly from the tension of viewing Sharon Tate as the victim and you begin to realize because obviously the title Once Upon a Time in Hollywood which is a, a very evocative of many of the films he likes Once Upon a Time in Mex- or Once Upon a Time in the West it's a, a Once Upon a Time in America the Sergio Leone thing it's also a fairy tale title and he takes that seriously Once Upon a Time in Hollywood and so we do not it does not revealed until the last scene of the movie what the purpose of Sharon Tate was we've been seeing Sharon Tate lead her life we've been seeing her flit around, watch movies, seeing the little glimpses of who she is. We don't know why the whole movie. And in fact, there's aggressively little for her to do specifically because it wants to pose a question. Because if she's going to get murdered at the end, we understand what her purpose is. You know, she's oh, it's like, okay, we're seeing the victim before she gets murdered. When she doesn't get murdered at the end, that absence poses a question. Who is she and what does she represent in this film? And that question is thoroughly answered there in that last moment when quite literally looking up an ascendant path full of flowers with a gate separating him, her voice comes down from on high through a little communication box and says, Rick, oh, it's so good to finally talk to you. Would you like to come up? And then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, yes, and then Jay Seabrook, yes. <laughs> the idea of Emil Hirsch just giving the, nice. mm, you did it. He was like, you did, you it. did it. And that's the great thing about, the, that's the great thing is he also, even in that moment, he's still trying to entertain the audience. So he puts in the goofy thumbs up during that moment to let you know it's okay to laugh with this moment as well. And he walks up and it's beautiful. And because uh, the whole another event thing, to, the, to, to kind of go in, and I'll give the short, short version, is how the diffusion of violence throughout the film is a device that's used over and over and over again to sort of foreshadow the ending. So we build towards what we think is going to be a really dark thing that happened on the set of Green Hornet, which ultimately is the Bruce Lee fight, which we which we is referenced ominously several times, and we're waiting for, what, did he fucking cripple Bruce? What happened? Did he murder someone? And then finally realized what he did was he made another guy's wife angry by denting her car. So, like, the, the violence, as it's building, and it quickly diffuses. Same thing on the Spawn Ranch. Oh, we think violence is going to happen. Darkness, darkness, murder. It's a Tarantino movie, and it diffuses, and it's just a silly old guy who's trying to get laid. Same thing. Manson people are heading up to the house to kill piggies and then Rick Dalton busts out of the house and goes, bah! And he undoes the Manson murders in exactly the same way. So it's like, build towards violence, diffuse. Build towards violence and tension and darkness, diffuse. Build towards the Manson murders, which is the, supposed to be the climax of the fucking movie. And just like Zoe Bell walks out in the end of the Bruce Lee flight or just like the Bruce Dern rolls over and he's like, what? You know, like he just <laughs> bursts out of the house, just fucks up that whole moment and it just fucks up the Manson murders. The difference this time is that after the violence, after the violence finally gets diffused for this third time, we see him back up. We hop into the car. We have that great scene where they say, is that Rick Dalton? And they decide, have that great 
Tarantinian turn where someone just says, but what if this? <laughs> and immediately jumps in, says, but what if this? Let's go murder them, drives back up, and that's when we get the payoff to all of the ideas and everything that's come up to this point. It is a film... I don't know. I, I, you just how many times film? has Cliff seen it so far? A bunch. I can't remember. Yes, a bunch yeah. of times. Holy you just shit. had a real film gasm right there. Yeah, it was a lot of. Yeah, it was good. I liked it. It was, it was pretty good. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I like it. You gonna, you gonna watch it again, Armin? <laughs> how angry? You watch it how again, angry Armin, is Kyle right now? <laughs> you fucking piece of shit. I started with yeah, I liked it. It was pretty good, and I'm ending with yeah, I liked it. It was pretty yeah. good after 40 minutes of yeah. of this, and Kyle's like, you motherfuckers. <laughs> uh, listen, I only get into my breathless nerd. You know, for certain things, because it's not a, it's not a sexy. It's look. That was really hear, impressive. It's actually, not a sexy look. I'm I'm good to hear. It's good to hear it come from a positive thing yeah, as yeah, opposed yeah. to a shitting on something yeah, shitting thing, on which something. is good. Which is uh, the yeah. positivity. In I the think world this is, is good for you. Yes. Oh, this is great. Like I a rising tide raises I, all ships. I'm telling you, man. Like I I count on these things to like. You know, you don't get that many opportunities. I don't get that many opportunities anymore just because I'm so fucking in it with film stuff to really, like, be inspired. You yeah. Know? And yeah. it's like, and that's definitely. Well, it's certainly, was. it certainly was one of those situations where even throughout the movie, I, I, I liked, like I said, I liked sort of the, we're on a, a meandering yeah. path of this film. Like, we're telling the story of these two days. And it makes sense in hindsight, but I, I like that meandering path because in a way I trust Tarantino to handle that well he he can write really good fucking dialogues he puts together interesting scenes mm-hmm. he has some of the best actors in the world fucking saying his words and it, it all just kind of you just kind of like lean into it and you're like all right fine like mm-hmm. I'll, I'll i'll see where this is going yeah. it's all very mm-hmm. interesting um and I, to me i think looking back at now like sort of the entirety of what tarantino has done up until this point i think arguably i don't think he's ever even made like a b movie like oh, every yeah. one of his movies have been so fucking good. Yeah, it goes without saying that all of his films are great films. The only the only thing is like people will like talk shade like about Hateful Eight, but really only in the sense that it's a really 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 great movie, but maybe the least of his masterpieces. You know, and yeah. that's sort of the the uh, that's his low point, if you will, is just having made a, a really amazing movie yeah. in, in Hateful Eight. Damn, I hate really when that happens. I, I, yeah, me too. I hate it when I accidentally do that. Yeah. Um, but either way, uh, yeah, if you guys haven't seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, you fucking Spoilers. should go. Because well, if you haven't seen it, you've been spoiled all to hell yeah, on it now. That's but true. Yes, yes, oh, yes, yes, yes. At least now you'll get stuff. I would only say if you, yeah. if you haven't seen it yet, the movie does benefit genuinely from knowing more about the Manson murders. I yeah, wish I had known more That's about true. the Manson murders ahead of time. Same, same. Because all the little details of it, because that would just make everything much more satisfying yeah. and yeah. much more scary li- leading up to it if you haven't been spoiled. I think on you it. need to know. Th- you need to know two things. Spawn Ranch is a real thing. They actually lived there on that movie ranch. That guy who uh, Spawn who ran who ran it, real guy, really was an old eighty year old blind man who let Charles Manson and the rest of them live on that ranch. Uh, and stuff. That's a real thing. And then those people really killed that lady. That's basically the two things <laughs> yeah. you need to know. It does help to know that they they killed. They, oh her yeah, they in killed August. that lady and they killed everyone else in that house. It, it, it does help to know that yeah. they killed her in August because I didn't yeah. know what time of year yeah. they killed her, and I thought it was going to happen way earlier in the movie. Yes, and I was really worried that like it was just going to come out of fucking nowhere, yeah. and I wasn't going to be ready. Oh, for Oh, by the it, way, when the in the the song this this is another thing we haven't even talked about the the songs playing on the radio have never. Tarantino has needle drops in all of his movies here. Never have they been better integrated with what's going on. Mm-hmm. As Brad Pitt is about to pick up the hippie chick, you know, 
an August night and the leaves are brown and the yeah, the, the, the lyrics. Well, more importantly, lyrics but more importantly, presaging. but more importantly, the first time he sees her, was yeah. playing oh, yeah. Mrs. Robinson, you, Mrs. Robinson, yeah. uh-huh. yeah, yeah. and the second time, <laughs> heaven sent. Yes, and a little jingle there. Yeah, and I, the other thing is, we haven't even talked about the fact that just forget literally everything I said before. <laughs> just, just the fact that. As a as an experience, I like literally just watching Brad Pitt tear out of those Hollywood Hills in his little blue sports car, and to that music go ripping into Los Angeles with all of the buildings redone mm-hmm. to be like 1969. So and he's, he's there's hundreds of period cars just around on the highway, and the cameras are swirling in and around while he's just blazing down the highway, <laughs> engines revving, listening to rock and roll for prolonged. Because a big part of this film is these long sequences that are largely set to just radio cuts because it's like songs changing on the radio that communicate to you that the geography of where all these things are in relation to each other. So Brad Pitt will leave Leonardo DiCaprio's house and we'll get a whole montage of him driving from the high Hollywood Hills to the low of his kind of impoverished little um, thing. But you'll see every stage of that of that drive along the way. And Tarantino uses these not just to kind of create this idea of a connected, geographically contiguous Los Angeles that is a character in the film, but he also does it as an opportunity to just to 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 create the aesthetic space of that he wants to create of Tarantino's nineteen sixty nine. And so you have these amazing sequences. Like I like the first time that Brad Pitt went tearing down Sunset Boulevard, 1969, in the car with the music blaring and the wind going through his hair. Like, I got, like, almost emotional during that part. I was just like, this is just beautiful that this exists. How is this? And it's part of a movie. Like, this could exist, but it could only exist in some compromised way. Like, this is like a Coca-Cola commercial that Brad Pitt did for the Super Bowl, and it was cool. And everyone would say, man, I wish we could still have movies like that. Like, Brad Pitt's looking all Steve McQueenie driving around this car. Someone should make... And then some hack Hollywood screenwriter would write some movie with a bunch of fucking plot in it that was set sometime. <laughs> and there would be some dumb fucking, fucking actress who is his love interest. And then they would make that, and they would say, yeah, this is his Steve McQueen movie. And we would say... Are you talking I about guess. Benjamin Button? I'm not. I'm talking about anything. I'm talking about like like whatever. The fact that this version, the best possible version of this exists, and uh, is, is 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 just it's something we all yeah. get to enjoy. Th- that, I I agree. I think the high point of this movie and the entire reason to watch it is just how dreamy Brad Pitt is. He's is he's very dreamy. fucking dreamy in this. I mean, movie. The other thing that Brad, the way that Brad that Tarantino understands, you need know, to turn the no no off. okay keep it going. The other thing that Tarantino understands is, and this is not. This is something that Michael Mann didn't understand, I don't think. And I don't think he didn't understand it, but I think it's part of the reason people are sometimes are unsatisfied with Heat is because it's the big Al Pacino, Robert De Niro movie. But the guys n- almost never share a frame. In fact, I think it's deliberately done by Michael Mann so they do not share a frame until they're holding hands at the end of the movie. They actually do a couple... T- it doesn't matter. But the point is, like, they only have one big scene together where they're shot in separates. And... As much as I get why Michael Mann was doing that in Heat, what the point of it was, it, you kind of feel gypped a little bit. You kind of feel like, all right, I get it, but like, I kind of wanted to see Al Pacino and Robert De Niro acting in the same frame, in scenes, together, all of that kind of stuff. And, and Tarantino was like, I am here to deliver 
the goods. So whenever Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio are in the same goddamn scene, they're at a bar or they're standing in front of a sign or whatever, he is setting them up so that he can frame the conversations with them both in one glorious frame so that you just get to luxuriate the entire movie. And like, that is Leonardo DiCaprio. That is Brad Pitt. They are in the same frame. They are in the same movie. They are connected. They feel like buds, and it holds them together. It's a technique that he uses in Reservoir Dogs. Like in the opening of Reservoir Dogs, when uh, Mr. Orange first gets in the car with all of the guys, the, fir- the other three guys who are criminals are shot in a three shot, and he's shot in a single until he begins to participate in the conversation and goof around. Then it's shot in twos and twos, you know, to kind of show how he's joined. And they're always, they're a buddies. They're dyna- dam- dynamic duo. They're the two biggest movie stars of their time playing a hero and a stuntman. They're doppelgangers of each other and he puts them he builds the whole movie around having these balanced frames whether they're watching TV in the living room whether they're driving in a car and he's like does that have to do fucking Italian movies he just keeps them connected the whole goddamn movie and so you just get to it's just it's a treat it's a real treat so that yeah, was really yeah. good yeah I enjoyed it fuck you stop stop, stop <laughs> poking stop <laughs> poking <laughs> him it was fucking great fuck Kyle you, I'm, yeah. I'm fucking See? I'm gonna buy eight copies when it comes out right. shit yeah. alright fucking I'm, mail yeah. them to my friends I'm I'm ready for this with a recording of Kyle I'm gonna pee my pants How do you I'm make ready video for this cards? to be over what was that I make uh, video cards dude yeah. that's a great app you should make that video greeting cards yeah how do I work this thing it's gonna be the entire usage uh, of it be pre-recorded with that let's get our let's get our social media right, i'm there. at mr kyle bogart on a far less exhausting instagram account than this podcast i'm at cliff bogart on an instagram <laughs> account that is lying fallow <laughs> i'm at chase 504 on instagram and you can find me at arm and hammer tv thank you so much everybody for watching and listening remember if you want to support the channel if you want to support the show Go to armandhammer.tv, buy some sweet merch, some sneaky fit stuff, some BRP stuff. We're talking hats. We're talking shirts. We're talking ice shaker bottles. We're talking women's tank tops. That's that's a brand yes. new one. And we're talking cock rings. We're, we're talking, talking, yeah, I think all those things are upcoming. And I'm currently prototyping, testing our, our <laughs> cock ring. Uh, you can also just directly support the channel, armandhammer.tv Armandhammer slash support. And uh, if you hate merch, that's the option for you. That's the option for you. Yeah. Uh, Go see Peanut Butter Falcon. Go yeah. see Peanut Butter Falcon. Again. Go see uh, Go see Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Enjoy all those things. We'll catch you guys next week. Later. Later. Later.